Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Google Cureleaf PA or stop by one of our 18 locations across the Commonwealth. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and Johnny McGonigal. Oh, you know what time it is. It's time for the second Blue White Breakdown podcast with Bob Flounders, me, and Johnny McGonigal. We recorded our first one a little over 24 hours ago, Johnny. I think the Penn State fan base is now pretty aware of your love for the Eagles, the Phillies, and the Sixers, but especially I would say the Eagles are number one, and you've you've admitted that, but you were feeling pretty good, pretty stable on our first one. You said it wouldn't get any worse. Before we get to Penn State, I got to ask you, has anything changed in your world? No, nothing nothing has changed. Like I said, uh... You know, once we get to three, four hours before kick, you know, that's when that's normally when the nerves go away and the kind of just whatever that kind of energy, however you want to describe it of like, hey, we're just going to go out and, and get it done. So it's it's normally flipped because I know a lot of people get nervous as, as kick approaches. But for me, the nerves are, are normally in the early part of the week. So I'm feeling OK. I'm feeling all right. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Again, it's like the 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 idea of having to beat Patrick Mahomes. And the idea of like, hey, in this five-year stretch of him playing like unbelievable at quarterback, right? And and for him to only come away with one Super Bowl in, a, in like this five-year stretch seems like it's like not quite enough. Um, so I'm hoping that doesn't come at the Eagles' expense, but we'll see. We'll see. We shall see. We got. We're gonna we're gonna get into some Penn State stuff fairly soon. Johnny's gonna make a Super Bowl pick, but uh, we, since we're talking about the Eagles in the Super Bowl, there's a fairly well-known ex-Penn State star that is is going to play, you think you would think, a lead role for Penn State's offense in the game. Miles Sanders, Western PA kid, 1,000-yard rusher at Penn State. It's so funny. You know, I, I still think about the running back room when Saquon Barkley was there and Miles was backing him up. And Miles is such an elite talent, but he, he didn't really get to see the field because they had Saquon Barkley. But, man, never any doubt about his talent in 2018. He played on a a team that wasn't quite the level of the 16 and 17 teams. And he still almost ran for 1,300 yards. He's a Philadelphia Eagle. They have a great running uh, attack. And James was asked about Miles Sanders. And I know that you have some connections having dealt with Miles, I think, and his family in the past. What do you want to share about Miles Sanders and kind of what you've learned and kind of what his role might be Saturday? Yeah, well, you mentioned Franklin, and you know, we'll we'll start there on Tuesday. You know, he was asked about Miles Sanders being in the Super Bowl, and yet another Penn Stater representing, uh, you know, on the game's biggest stage. And and James said that he's proud of Miles. You know, he's always done it. You know, done the right things. You know, well on the field and then off the field as well. You know, good representation of Penn State's program, and and he's really happy for him. 
I do feel like that that's a kind of an overlooked part of this is that uh, not of his story necessarily, but of just a, a part of his journey because you know, he came to Penn State as this five-star prospect. He was the number one running back recruit uh, in his in his recruiting cycle, uh, had offers from Alabama, Ohio State, everywhere across the country wanted Miles Sanders. He decides to stay home primarily because, you know, he wanted his mom in every game and his mom matters so much to him. And, uh, you know, I started to get the sense of that when I was talking to talking to Marlene Sanders, his mom, uh, going back to when he was a you know, freshman and sophomore. And then, you know, I was working for the CDT. I did a bigger feature on him and his relationship with his mom and how his impending NFL draft decision was going to affect that. He ends up foregoing his final year uh, of eligibility and just staying in touch with his family throughout the years. You know, it was able, it was good to be able to catch up with them uh, in a couple days after the NFC championship game, wrote a story up. It's up on Penn live now, um, you know, talking to Miles's mom and, and his longtime trainer and mentor uh, from the Pittsburgh area, just about his journey and about you know, everything that he had to went, he went through. And even recently, this is a contract year for miles. And uh, last year he didn't have a touchdown. You know, he dealt with injuries, missed a bunch of games and uh, for him to really bear down in the off season and get his body right. He was hell bent on that. Uh, he was a little ticked with how, you know, how things were kind of panning out for him so far in his NFL career. You know, he had good production, but not to the level that he thought he could. And so to, to be able to see him, put it all together this year. And now he's in the Super Bowl. He scored two touchdowns in the NFC championship game. And uh, yeah, it, it's a really cool story. And uh, one, I was glad I was able to write and share. And so uh, if you haven't already go check that out. Yeah. And like, let's hope for the best with, uh, with miles and his role uh, in the game. You never know what's going to happen. Uh, I don't want to say the Eagles have an embarrassment of riches in the running game, but they have a lot of options. Gainwell is, is lethal in the open field. You got to worry about the quarterback. So I think that's one of the keys to pe- uh, the Eagles success this year is, you really don't know what's coming in that running game because they can hurt you so many different ways. And then they have elite wide receivers and an elite offensive line and elite tight ends. So for Miles to have the year that he did, really, with all that talent around him, I mean, I think that on another team, uh, he would probably have better numbers, but I'm sure he wouldn't trade this for the world. So we'll see how it plays out for Miles Sanders on Sunday, Johnny. But let's circle back to Penn State's media availability uh, on Tuesday this week. James Franklin was available uh, to talk about finishing up the recruiting class. They also introduced Marcus Higgins uh, as the new wideouts uh, coach, replacing Taylor Stubblefield. And then, you know, the thing that I think that there was a lot of media people there uh, and deservedly so, but they made about, I don't know, if I had to guess maybe two dozen second year players available, the true freshmen from the 2022 season. And we got to talk to a lot of them for a lengthy amount of time. So It was really a productive day. It was really good to get to know the young players. But really, it was also good to get to know Marcus a little bit. He spoke uh, with us for about 30 minutes. And James actually went into pretty great length, I thought, about the the process of hiring him, what the expectations are moving forward, not only for Marcus, but the wideout room in general. So you wrote a bunch about Marcus, Johnny, before we got a chance to talk to him. Uh, Having now heard from him and how he answers questions he seems like a guy that, you know, everyone always talks a good game when they get introduced as, as a, an assistant coach. But he, he does seem like the guy that Virginia was really sorry to say goodbye to because not only what he did as a coach, but the relationships he was able to build with his, his players at Virginia. 
For sure. And I think I might have mentioned this on a previous podcast, but whenever an assistant coach is hired, I always kind of look to see what the other fan base is talking about, how they're receiving the news of an assistant leaving their program to go to another. And sometimes people are happy to see coordinators or position coaches leave. But this wasn't the case with Virginia. And it wasn't just the fans either, though. It was the former players. It was uh, guys from Marcus Hagan's time. At Virginia, he was there for 13 years, too, as a grad assistant, 11 years as their wide receivers coach. You know, to see the outpouring of support and, you know, the number of guys that were just happy for him, that it was like, yeah, this sucks that we're losing him from the Virginia community uh, because he was really a big part of not just the football program, but the community at large, him and his wife. But we're happy for him to take this next step. And uh, I was able to talk to a handful of former Virginia wide receivers. Uh, I don't like plugging stories all that often, Bob, but you know, but two plugs in, in, in a four minute span, whatever that is. Uh, go on Penn Live if you haven't already read that. Uh, give that a look. But yeah, basically the, the, the gist of it was these guys you know, came into Virginia. None of them were necessarily the highest recruited players, but they developed under him. They became better men. Uh, they still use the lessons they learned from Marcus Higgins today in their daily lives, whether that's in their you know, work uh, as receivers still in professional football or as fathers. Um, so he makes impacts on these players' lives. And I really think that was a big sell um, you know, for James Franklin to bring him in. And you, you obviously got to develop the football player, too. It's not just this is not just uh, he's not just a teacher uh, outside of the game. He's a teacher on the field, too, and, and knows how to develop receivers. And I also think that relationship with Anthony Poindexter, uh, Penn State safeties coach, a long time Virginia, Virginia guy. Uh, I think that really helps, too. Yeah, I'm sure James leaned on on uh, Anthony and Anthony's work at Penn State has been just I mean, the, the production of and the development of these safeties, um, really, really fun to watch. Jair Brown took it to the next level under Anthony, but also under uh, Manny Diaz as well. But uh, it, it just seems to me that uh, as, as we spin this forward and we look at the wideout room going into 2023 and beyond, James, I thought, you know, he was asked, I think, pretty early by former Penn Liver Greg Pickle. But I think he asked, I'm paraphrasing, the reasons that went into uh, why he made the change. He wouldn't He wouldn't go into that. He didn't say it was appropriate, but he was asked several follow-up questions about, about Marcus, his role, how he fits, what he's looking for, and what the expectations are for the wide receiver room moving forward. I mean, I have a pretty strong opinion on, on uh, what James said, but my, my point, I think, is, though, that I think that he's in his 10th year, and I don't know that Penn State really has ever kind of solved the wide receiver position riddle consistently at Penn State. They've had two players really that have scared, I think, during his time, really scared opposing uh, opposing teams and opposing secondaries. One was K.J. Hamler and one was Jahan Dotson. Chris Godwin, for as good as he was, Johnny, I don't think that was the player that w- that scared defenses when he was there. It was Saquon Barkley. You know, they also had Mike Kosicki. They had some other players. They actually had to worry about Trace McSorley. But I think the most terrifying receivers to play at Penn State during James Franklin's time were, were Hamler and obviously Jahan Dotson. And I think James wants that to be more of the norm. And I don't think he wants to go a lot of years with, without having that threat on the outside. He talked about it, you know, the way the game's being played, you got to scare defenses and you got to be able to change the game in one play. He's seen it enough with Ohio State, right? Ohio State, every year, they have guys like that. Julian Fleming can barely get on the field. So I think there was a lot that went into getting Marcus from Virginia to Penn State. But I, I do think the expectations of James and the wide receiver room, he wants that he wants that room 
and he wants that coach to build uh, some fear into opposing defenses. And I think that really factored into the change. For sure. I mean, you look at what you know Parker Washington did this past season. He put up solid numbers, but I think people expected a little bit more. And, and not just from Parker, but from the wide receiver room uh, as a whole. And I think that went into... Uh, the reason to relieve you know, Taylor Stubblefield of his duties is that you know, they just weren't getting that 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 you, you talk about the fear, right? Striking fear in the opponent. I still think Penn State had that over the last you know f- you know few years, aside from Jahan Dotson, you know, which is a you know that's a different case. But you look at what Marcus Hagens and I mentioned his development of receivers and the type of athlete and the type of recruit uh, that he was getting at Virginia. You know, they get some good guys down there, and Virginia itself is a really talent rich state in terms of. Uh, high school recruits. But for him, it was more about development. It's like, okay, we're taking some three-star guys here. We're putting them into the league. Um, And so now he gets, uh, it seems like an embarrassment of riches and not just right now, but over the next few years of in terms of the type of athlete and type of player you you can recruit at Penn state versus what you can recruit uh, at Virginia. He's going to be dealing with four-star, maybe even five-star guys um, in his wide receiver room. And so that's huge. That's huge in terms of taking that talent and molding them into, like you said, the, the kind of fear inducing kind of player uh, that Penn State wants and really needs to take that next step uh, in the Big Ten and when competing with Ohio State and Michigan. The other aspect to this is you you mentioned the wide receiver coach in terms of the, the carousel that it's really been uh, since Josh Gaddis left. You had Jared Parker. You had David Corley, who was hired to be a running backs coach, got moved over uh, when they brought in uh, Cider uh, and again, Stubblefield as you know, for three years. Marcus Higgins was at Virginia forever, and it was it was comfortable for him because he knew the university and the university knew him. Uh, but this is someone who you know had success over a long period of time at one place. And I think that is something that James Franklin is also after. It's like, hey, if not only can we we want to up the, our level, but we want to do so consistently and not have this be a revolving door. And because that makes it hard on recruiting, that makes it hard on building those those relationships uh, within the wide receiver room. And so I think that's where Marcus Hagens can really come in. And it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult and different for him because, again, this is not a situation that he's been comfortable in. He hasn't been at Penn State for 13 years. So it's going to be a change for him, too. But I think it's going to be a good change for this wide receiver room at Penn State, uh, not just now. Because there, there is there is pressure to get production now and going into 2023, uh, but in the years down the line as well. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I noticed about Marcus uh, in reading your stories about him and looking at his biography is that when he would get three star recruits, uh, he would develop them. But it, he wouldn't just develop one of them. You know, there were there were years where they ha- they were able to spread the ball around, but solid production from you know two or three guys. Whereas at Penn State, you know, I you know you, as you looked at the room and they had to bring in Mitchell Tinsley this year to cut, to kind of take some of the heat off of Parker. They're still kind of waiting on some young wideouts to emerge, but I think in a perfect world, you have, you have a guy that could scare the crap out of opposing secondaries. But if you pay too much attention to him, there's two or three other guys on the roster at receiver that are almost as dangerous and that they can hurt you. And you add in the tight ends that Penn state has and the running backs. And then it's really going to, going to be a problem. You look at what Ohio state's been able to do. You look at what a guy like Brian Hartline, a former Buckeye, has been able to do at Ohio State. And when you got when you got guys leaving Ohio State to go to Alabama and then they become the first overall wideout taken in the NFL draft, I'm talking about Jamison Williams. That's when you know you have a wide receiver room that is feared, right? They they have guys, they have guys that can play, and it's just a question of when their number's called. I think James wants to get closer to that. And I think this is a step he felt he had to make. 
Taylor was here for three years. So while it may have seemed sudden when he made the move, you could also make the argument that, you know, Taylor, you were here for three years and we're still kind of talking about this. So maybe it wasn't that sudden. And philosophically, I don't think Penn State wants to live in the portal. You mentioned guys leaving Ohio State. That would be more of what Penn State wants to be like. They don't want to be living and dying by the portal uh, every year. And they haven't been. They, they've gone into the portal and got guys you know, throughout the roster you know, on both sides of the ball to help them. But at the wide receiver position, they have to do it back-to-back years, You know, bringing Mitchell Tinsley ahead of last season from Western Kentucky. And he comes in and, and he produced. We talked about it on yesterday's podcast. Like he, you know, he did a really nice job for himself in one year. But to then have to do it again and bring in a Malik McLean from Florida State and they're waiting on Dante Cephas to come in uh, from Kent State. When you signed five receivers in the 2022 recruiting class and, you know, look, Amari Evans had a touchdown catch from Drew Aller early in the season. But, you know, you didn't really see the production from those guys right away, whereas you did uh, at other positions across the board from the 2022 recruiting class. Now, you can't have all 23, 25 signees, whatever it was. You can't have all those guys come in and and produce right away. But I think there was just a maybe a dissatisfaction or a disappointment in uh, just the way that that re- receiver room had been developed and that the fact that they feel like going into this 2023 season where expectations are high, they do have a lot of talent on both sides of the ball, and you want you know, developed receivers uh, to be able to provide a security blanket and gain rapport, build a rapport with Drew Aller in his first season as a starter. To feel like you have to go in the portal to get that and you don't have that in-house, I think, is something that just doesn't sit right with James Franklin. And so he felt he felt like he had to make a change. And um, I think I do think that's a big part of it, though. I think Penn State doesn't want to live in the portal. They want to be able to develop their own talent. They get enough talent. They get enough talent from their recruiting classes. They should be able to develop them. And, and that's that's the goal. That's the goal. Yeah. So we'll see. And you're right. It's only it's only Marcus's first year at Penn State. And we'll see. I'll tell you what. I mean. And they've added so much different talent at Penn State. And that's going to be, it's great that these guys, like a guy like Dante Cephas, you know, pres- presuming he does get here and, he, and he's going to be on the field, you know, in September. And the Florida State kid, McNeil, it's great if they get them, the, those young players that they like. But, I mean, to try and get all that t- together in one off season, I think is going to be very, very challenging for Marcus in his first year. I do think that more than anything, I, I did, it, it resonated with me that, he went into great detail. I'm talking about James talking about some places, you know, assistants just are just brought in to recruit and at some places, or maybe they're just going to be the coach. That's never been since, even since I wasn't at Vanderbilt, that's never been how I operated. We need to recruit the position tremendously. Right. But they got to develop too. And I just think that, you know, they were, he was getting some of what he wanted from Stubblefield, but when he talks about it like that, it's hard not to draw a conclusion and say he felt like he wasn't getting after three years. He wasn't. And he was the offensive recruiting coordinator, right? He wasn't getting all that he needed. And, you know, if, there's no room for error in the Big Ten East. If, if, if you're talking about Michigan and Ohio State, they're both winning the playoff. There is no room for error when it comes to that stuff. You either got you got to be great at both or else you're never going to be able to match up with these guys. And I think that that was was the position that I think he really wanted to upgrade. I think he's got his guy, and I'm I'm really excited to see what Marcus can do. Not so much this year, but I think you know 2024 and 2025 when he's had some time to really kind of work his magic, uh, you know, in the state of Virginia, but also make some contacts throughout the state and w- see what he can do on the field as far as developing guys. 
you talked uh, in our first podcast this week about Caden Saunders, who was one of the most coveted kids in Penn State's uh, 2022 recruiting class. But you also said that, you know, Caden is going to miss Stubblefield. And he said, you know, he, he really it was he kind of messed up and he wasn't really, really ready for what was coming when he enrolled in January. But I think if you're James Franklin, I think I think you don't put it all on the kid. I think you got to put a little bit on that on the position coach. And I'm just wondering, you know, I'm excited. He's a player I'm excited to see this year because I had heard nothing but good things about him being a potential KJ Hamler type of player. And he's a guy that when you talk about the receiver room, I don't know where he is on the pecking order right now, but I think things could change in a hurry for Caden Saunders. And I'm really, I'm going to be curious to see what Hagen's impact is on a kid like Caden Saunders. I think I'm going to be writing about him this weekend, Bob. So keep your. Oh, that didn't ruin it for me. I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry. no, no. I, one thing though that you said that that really stuck with me throughout that you mentioned that there's no room for error in the Big Ten East, and kind of going along with that, really, when you feel like you have have a window, you have to capitalize on it. And I think James Franklin saw what this Penn State program was able to do. You know, with Sean Clifford at quarterback, you have some limitations. Even still, getting to eleven and two, winning the Rose Bowl. You you had Ohio State. It felt like for for at least a little bit there in that game until the fourth quarter. So you feel good with what you accomplished in 2022, and you feel really good about what you can accomplish in 2023. And then you know when the playoff opens up to 12 teams in 2024, there's a real window there. So you have two seasons here where you feel like you have to strike. You know, you, you can get Penn State. You know, it's always in the national conversation, right? You know, but you can really get it into the playoff for the first time. You can get this team into the playoff, if not one year, maybe two. And if you feel like there's any deficiency, not only on the roster, because you have to go correct that through the portal and everything. If you feel like there's a deficiency or something off on the coaching staff, you just have to, you got to make a big boy move. You got to just do it. And um, I, I do like, I applaud James for that because th- those, those decisions are really tough because these are personal decisions. These are, you know, coaches that they've worked with day in, day out now for three years within in the case of Taylor Stubblefield. But you kind of have to be ruthless, especially in the Big Ten East, especially uh, in today's college football. If you feel like you have a window, you have to try and capitalize. You have to do everything you can to maximize what you have on the roster, what you have in that building. Uh, and I think that's what James Franklin's trying to do with this hire, not just relieving Taylor of his duties, but hiring a Marcus Higgins. And, I've, and, and I and we mentioned it before, but I really think Anthony Poindexter's you know, his his uh, presence in the program, I think is going to really help Marcus come in and hit the ground running and uh, and not even miss a beat. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Everyone's journey is different, and we are honored to guide you to the best relationship with this incredible plant. Have questions? Google Cureleaf PA or stop by one of our 18 locations across the Commonwealth. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just a couple things for Penn State fans. Uh, now that we're in February, some some uh, dates for them to keep in mind. This past Tuesday was the first of eight winter conditioning workouts, and then after that, that'll that'll conclude. I think that's gonna. I think the way that their academic calendar is set up, I think the last one might wind up early, very early in the first week in March. Uh, there's going to be a little spring break. I think they are on target to open spring practice. I was talking to a, a Penn State uh, spokesperson about that on Tuesday, a couple days before St. Patty's Day, and that's a Friday this year. So it'll be a little bit ahead of that. And I think the pro day, I think uh, we, we heard from one of our compatriots that it might be, I think it's March 23rd or 22nd. 23rd sounds right. Yeah, this is, those are some dates I think that we'll be looking forward to to see some of those guys come back and as far as spring practice starting. So it's really now that once you get January out of the way uh, and you get past that second signing day, Johnny, it's real. The countdown is on to uh, to spring practice. And uh, I think I know I know I'm excited to see it. I know you're excited to see it before we wrap this up and I get your Super Bowl pick on record. Any other thoughts on any other second year players that you got a chance to talk to that really struck you? No, I mean, I think we covered most of it on the last podcast, not to make if, if listeners are listening to this and not the previous one, go back and take a listen to that because we really do, dove deep into, you know, what we what we learned from and what we talked to with uh, Drew Allers, Singleton. Uh, one guy, I guess I didn't I mentioned on that podcast, but didn't really get into a, a whole lot was Zane Durant and his progress that he made. Uh, throughout the season, he got to play early on with Kaziah Izzard missing time uh, at the start of the season, and he really grew from there. And you know, he ended up logging 170 snaps, uh, which is a good number for uh, an interior defensive lineman as a freshman. Uh, typically, those guys don't come in and play right away. And so I think, you know, we've talked about him in the past, but I, I think he made a really nice impact for, for Penn State in 2022. And he's going to be trying to put on a little bit more weight to get better in the run game. And he already made an impact, you know, getting after the passer and creating some havoc in the backfield. But in terms of holding up against a run, uh, that's an area that he's emphasizing during these winter workouts. And uh, you mentioned it, these winter workouts over the next couple of weeks and you know, a few weeks is going to be really big for not only the early enrollees that, that just came in, but the, the second year guys who maybe weren't, early enrolled. Maybe this is their first time going through it um, and really preparing for spring camp and, and spring camp puts you into a, a nice rhythm in the, if, if you have a good spring camp, puts you into a nice rhythm into the summer and, you know, building those habits and uh, getting with your teammates, you know, on campus and working out and throwing and whatever you need to do uh, to make yourself ready for training camp, because that's where jobs are won. And, and that's where the, that's where games are won really is the preparation for that season uh, come August. And so, Big couple weeks, big few weeks and few months, really, for this Penn State program and guys like Zane Durant and Drew Aller and uh, everyone else that we've uh, that we've touched on. So it's an exciting time uh, and I'm ready to ready to get it going. I, I'm I'm anxious for not anxious. I'm eager for you know, spring ball to get going again, back at practice and all that. That'll it'll be good. You mentioned anxious. You mentioned eager. 
It's a great transition <laughs> as we wrap up this Blue White Breakdown podcast. If I have this right, Johnny, uh, as one of the bigger Eagles fans I know, you are not anxious about the Chiefs-Eagles game. It's, uh, excuse me, 6.30 on Sunday. They're playing in Arizona. You're not anxious about it. You're just eager to watch it. Is that, is that accurate to say? And if that is the case, uh, I think the Penn State fan base would, would deserves a uh, prediction. You said you're not a homer. I believe it. A prediction, a thoughtful prediction on this game. Yeah, so, uh, look, I've gone back and forth. I, I've heard people say that, oh, yeah, the Eagles might be able to just run all over this defense and and win comfortably. I, I don't see that. This is Patrick Mahomes we're talking about. I, I do think the Eagles will win. Uh, the method of victory, I think, is going to be interesting, though. I think they win on a field goal, but they leave Patrick Mahomes too much time, and everyone is kind of just sitting there like, <laughs> oh, God, you left this guy a minute with a timeout or whatever it is. Uh, but I think Hassan Reddick and the pass rush that is a record setting pass rush. Uh, this is Eagles front is going to get after him in obvious passing downs late, uh, maybe a strip sack like a la, you know, Brandon Graham against uh, Brady in 2018 or, you know, maybe, maybe it's Reddick. But I think the pass rush shows up when it matters most in a high scoring game and the Eagles win by football. Yeah, I like that. I'm no Eagles fan. As you can tell, I'm wearing a Cowboys visor. I've always been a Cowboys fan, but I have watched the Eagles play this year. Uh, several times. Very impressed. I'm not buying the narrative that be careful how you judge them because they have really haven't played a really good quarterback. I think the talent is I think the talent, the depth and the ways that they can win a game are, are very real. And I would say this when you're talking about the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, to me, this game isn't going to it will not be like the Chiefs Niners Super Bowl where the Chiefs were down in the fourth quarter um, and they had to pull it out. I think they scored 14 points late in that game. Tyreek Hill was on that team, and the Niners, the way they played, didn't have an answer for him. I think this game's going to be more like the Tampa Bay-Kansas uh, City game. The reason I say that is because I think the Eagles have the front and the scheme to get after Mahomes. And there is no Tyreek Hill in this game. If anything, I think their receiver court is pretty beat up. They, they do have the, the premier tight end you know, in the game, but I don't know if that receiver, score, receiver core really scares the Eagles. I think they're going to use that to their advantage. And I, I do think if you remember the Tampa Bay game, Johnny, when they played Kansas City, Mahomes um, was running for his life in that game. It was, I think, the final was thirty-eight to nine. They didn't even, I don't, they didn't score a touchdown. I don't think it'll be lopsided, but I could see the Eagles' defense being really the unit that is is most responsible in this. I would not surprise me if the Eagles won by ten points in this game. I just think that their defense and the players that they have are really, really going to cause problems for Kansas City without Tyreek Hill. I just don't know. They don't have much of a running game. And I just think they're a little too one. As good as Mahomes is, you know, John Elway was always a guy in the Super Bowl before until the very end. Yet he was on some uh, some Denver teams that got trampled by NFC teams. It's a little before your time. It, it it was when they finally got a running game and some receivers that he got good. They don't have that in Kansas City. I think the Eagles go one by ten. How about that? I like it. I like it. this. It's an interesting thought exercise, right? The best quarterback in the league against what I think most people agree is the best roster uh, in the league. I mean, you look at what uh, I, I was listening to actually a podcast on the way back from state college on Wednesday and, and they pointed out that for media night, right? So they trot out like the best 11 players on the roster and put them up on those little mini podiums. And you see the players that are rolling out for the Eagles, you know, not just Jalen Hurts. And we talked about Miles Sanders, but A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, you know, all these guys, um, Hassan Reddick, Fletcher Cox, Lane Johnson. 
And then you look at the Chiefs and it's like, yeah, they have Mahomes and they have Kelsey, but then they also have like Jarek McKinnon at the podium. <laughs> now, Jarek McKinnon kills the Eagles on Sunday and scores two touchdowns and, and is the reason why they why they win, then credit to him. But I just think this roster top to bottom is just better than what the Chiefs have. And I think the pass rush is going to be able to you know get after him enough. Um, Hassan Reddick against Andrew Wiley is the matchup to watch. And I think Hassan Reddick has been playing like the defensive player of the year that no one talks about this year. And I think he, uh, I think he does it again. He certainly influenced the Niners game, right? He, he single-handedly changed that game when the, the Niners stupidly had George Kittle try and block him. And that just didn't go well. So I think we're on the same path. Dan Marino got to a Super Bowl, one, you know, once and he got trampled by the Niners. It's great to have a, a, a generational talent at quarterback, but if you don't have enough around him, eventually a deeper team, I think, is going to figure you out. I wouldn't be surprised if the Eagles figure out the Chiefs fairly early in this game. We'll see. As a not uh, as I'm not an Eagles fan, but I really do like their chances on Sunday. I, Johnny, I wish you the best of luck in your viewing plans, and I hope it goes your way, my man. Thank you, Bob. Go Birds. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. <laughs>